Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 132 of the podcast. It's the 11th of July, 2018, as I record this intro. So this week on the podcast, I have a wonderful conversation with Iris Chen. Iris is a Chinese-American unschooling mom who was born in the U.S., grew up in the U.S. and Canada, and now lives with her husband and two boys in China. She's been unschooling for about a year and began sharing her experiences on her blog at untigering.com. I recently connected with her and have really enjoyed reading her blog posts, so I was very excited when she agreed to come on the podcast. We dive into why her and her husband decided to move to China, her family's move to unschooling, a bit about unschooling in China, deschooling expectations around achievement, uh, feeling like an outsider in both Chinese and American societies, and lots more. As a personal update, earlier this week, Michael drove to Brooklyn, New York to visit Lissy. I'm still amazed when I say things like that. <laughs> and next week, she's coming home with him for her visit here. I love that we genuinely enjoy each other's company and we're all excited to see each other during the various legs of summer visits this year. And as a community update, I want to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work through Patreon. And a huge welcome to my wonderful new patrons, Louise Rogers, Erica Ellis, Emily Landman, Arlene Torek, and Kathy Butari. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my unschooling work like this podcast on my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Iris. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Iris Chen. Hi, Iris. Hello, Pam. Hello, hello. Iris is an unschooling mom, and I came across her work a few months ago, and I really enjoyed reading around your website, untigering.com, and I was super excited when she agreed to come on the podcast. So to get us started, Iris, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Sure. So I am a Chinese American and I was born in the States and grew up in the States and in Canada, actually. <laughs> um, after I got married, I moved out to China um, to teach English. And then we had two boys out there in China. And um, I've only been unschooling for about a year, um, but have really just fallen in love with it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it it doesn't take doesn't take too long once you start diving in, does it? If if it's for you, if it's a good match, it just like 
Mm-hmm. sucks you right in, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so I love how you describe um, your blog, untigering.com, on your about page. And I just wanted to read a little quote for people from it. Untigering is a blog about my adventures of trying to be a parent in the tension of my Chineseness and Americanness. It's about me moving away from being a typical tiger mom, but still wanting to hold on to my cultural heritage. It's about figuring out what I believe about identity, family, and success as an outsider to both societies. And look, I got goosebumps again just as I was reading. <laughs> so let's start with your shifting definition of success. Um, that's a big one that we talk about quite a bit on the podcast. And as you mentioned, uh, you and your husband um, were well on your way to fulfilling the American dream when you guys did that complete 180 and moved to China. So I was really interested in hearing how that came about. Yeah. So my husband, like we live in the Silicon Valley, you know, it's a very driven, very ambitious um, culture here. And at that time, my husband had been working for five years as an electrical engineer and was doing well. And we were living a very comfortable good life. Um, but I think we just wanted something different. We wanted something meaningful. We wanted to, you know, be of service somewhere. And we wanted, you know, a sense of adventure too, something different. And so um, we went to China just planning on teaching English for a year. That was our, you know, we didn't expect on staying out for very long. We we're going <laughs> to give it a year. And have a fun time with it. But then once we went out there, we just really fell in love with it, fell in love with the people and the the culture. I mean, we're both Chinese, but um, yeah, just really falling in love with the people and the culture there and ended up staying for the next 15 years and have been there ever since. So, <laughs> so when you were talking about, so what was the, the biggest piece you were talking about wanting to um, feel like you were doing service? service kind of yeah. work, helping people. So that was something that you guys felt was missing. Was that a big chunk of it? Yeah, yeah. So like, I think sometimes when you stay in your own culture, you are stuck in um, these these scripts or these tracks that, you know, everybody around you is doing this. Everybody else is, you know, buying their house and having children or whatever. And yeah. I think we just wanted to be, um, intentional about the choices we've made. We didn't want to just do what everybody else is doing, but we also, yeah, wanted to um, make intentional choices about what we were doing with our lives. So, well, that, that's cool. So it was, it was kind of noticing that you were like on this track. Yeah. Of, of, of the, I guess the definition of, of a success for people. Right. And you guys yeah. were, we're rocking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were doing well. Time to question it, right? Is that? Yeah, kind of- definitely. Yeah, like why? And and that's it, not to say that that is wrong, but mm-hmm. why are we doing it? And are we being intentional and mindful about those choices that we make? So yeah. we, for us, we just felt like that wasn't our path, that that wasn't our calling. You know, we wanted something different for our lives. Yeah. So. I love that point too, because... Um, just because it's conventional doesn't mean that it's wrong. Like, like you said, right? right? It's just knowing what path is is feeling good for you and is working for you, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and I love and that. Idea. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I feel that follows really closely with unschooling too. It's not that you can't have a conventional education or, you know, like you can't go to college or it's Mm -hmm. not about that. It's about like doing it intentionally and doing it because it's meaningful and purposeful for you, not just because that's the thing you do. (laughs) I love that word purposeful right? That, that's just the, the intention behind it, because you're right. I mean, unschooling lives run, run the gamut, right? For young adults. And some, when you're looking from the outside, can look very conventional and some can look very unconventional, but they're all, either way, they're all lived with intention and purpose, right? Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Exactly. I love that. So let's continue on. You guys went and you spent your year there in China and you had yes. children. And so I'm curious to see how that kind of phase went and then how you discovered unschooling and, and what your move to unschooling looked like. You said that was about a year ago? Yeah. So I I have this blog called Untigering because I, I think I was a pretty typical tiger mom. Like I had very high stand for what I wanted my kids to to do and to study. So it was my full intention to send them. Well, at first we were considering homeschooling and then um, like conventional homeschooling. And then we uh, were thinking about sending them to local Chinese school because we were living in China and we thought, oh, well, if they go to local school, then they will be like fluent. They will be bilingual in both Chinese and English. And that was sort of like a high priority for me. And so we were really trying to get them into local school. But that didn't really work out because um, they didn't have enough space for foreigners. So we went another option where we went to like a local private Chinese school. And I think we had a good experience there. But after a few years there, I just felt that there were a, there was a lot about just the schooling mindset that I didn't agree with that didn't resonate with me um, because I had sort of like part-time homeschooled them when they were younger I felt like there's a lot of wasted time a lot of just busy work a lot of things that were meaningless that you just felt like you had to do as part of school and yeah. I was also teaching there at that school and I was sort of sucked into those types of patterns too even though I didn't believe in them um, you know, like giving homework just to give homework or um, seeing what the results of grades like a mark did. Like they, they just cared about looking at the grade. They didn't actually care about whether or not they understood the material or, um, <clears throat> or even seeing my, my kids. They did actually really well in that environment. But then um, noticing that they were... Um, doing things more for the, the affirmation of the teacher. Like they were trying to get recognition and saying, oh, look, look at this and um, comparisons and stuff like that. So I was noticing, even though they were doing well, attitudes that were sort of inadvertently passed on to them because of this environment. And so <clears throat> I think um, it wasn't until I... Um, I had not really been exposed to unschooling, but I went on a, or I listened to like a parenting conference. And one of the speakers was Scott Noel, who is part of the self-directed um, Alliance. The Alliance. I think. And 
Yeah, he wasn't really talking about unschooling, but at the end of his talk, he, he referenced it. And then I went to the website and I read about what self-directed education was like. And I just really resonated with it and felt like, oh, this is something that I really believe in or I want to believe in. Yeah, I want, I want to <laughs> And it's, it's very like a very radical way, for, at least for me, it was a very radical way of looking at education and of sort of letting go of the reins, but there was something very appealing about it to me, especially since at that time I had to think of other options because the school that I was sending my kids to was shutting down. And so I, my, pretty much my only option was to homeschool. And yet I was really stressed by that idea because I knew if I like took a schooling mindset and applied it to homeschooling, that that would just create so much stress <laughs> in my family life and in like for my kids. Cause I just be this like really controlling mom, just trying to get them to do their work. And I didn't want to do that. And so once I discovered unschooling, um, yeah, I think I just really resonated with it and was excited about, um, what that meant for my relationship with my kids and the way, a way that we could homeschool that would just work for us. So that's cool. Yeah. You were, you were mentioning that you were teaching at the school and you were doing, you know, all the things that were expected. Um, like you mentioned, giving homework and, and paying attention to grades and using that as a measure, et cetera. And it's so interesting to see, you know, you were doing it because you had to in that situation. And then imagining having to do that at home because it wasn't something that you really believed in, but that you would have to duplicate if you were officially homeschooling them. Is yeah. kind of yeah. how it felt? Like you would be having to bring yeah, that definitely, home. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that, and then I actually in that environment, also in the in the school environment, I felt frustrated because I think I was behaving in ways that I didn't believe in either. Mm-hmm. Like I, I maybe I was just putting on that teacher hat and feeling like I had to be very authoritarian in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, like sit in your seat, pay attention, follow along. You know, yeah, you're um, playing that role rather than yeah. being yourself, right? Right, right. Or interacting with them the way I would um, if they were just my kids, or we were just at home together. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just just the role of being the teacher and that expectation, yeah, placed or in my mind meant something to me mm-hmm. where. I needed to be the one imparting information and they needed to listen and absorb it or whatever. So, and I guess it might be a little bit easier doing that inside the institution because all the teachers are doing it versus, you know, if you're at home, it's like, Oh, now it'll just be me trying to play that role. That could be (laughs) a lot harder. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't think my, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't think my kids would, would like it. (laughs) (laughs) respond well to me always wearing the teacher hat. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good point, too. So did the school close? Did did you guys finish out the year there? The school closed and then you kind of transitioned into it at home? Yes, yes. So the school um, closed and then we transitioned to what we were doing at home. And um, so a lot of the kids, it was like a private uh, local school and so all the all the kids are pretty much local local Chinese kids, and they went back to their different 
situations like either to a local school or a private school or um, other options. But yeah, for us, we ended up homeschooling. So how did, did you pretty much start unschooling at home from the beginning? Yeah. Just- at that point, yeah, like it was sort of, you know, we had our summer off and then we started. And I think, oh, at the beginning, um, I was like, okay, there's a few things that we're going to do. So it wasn't like total jump in the deep end. We yeah, were yeah. still in the process of de-schooling. And so I was like, we've still got to do math. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're Asians. We do math. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I just felt like, okay, that's, I, at that point, I felt not ready to let go of that and felt like that needed to be taught. And then we did other things like um, Chinese, Chinese class and piano class. But other than that, I was really able to sort of let the rest of it go, like, I would read to them. I would just, sometimes they would pick a book or I would pick a book and read a lot to them. But the rest of the day was pretty open and pretty um, like they could do what they wanted to do. But I think it was just like after a few weeks into it, because of my changing views and my, the, of my philosophy of unschooling, it like, making them do math didn't make sense to me anymore. Um, yeah, because if I truly believe that kids can learn through life and kids learn naturally in ways that are meaningful to them, then why was I making them sit and fill out these worksheets? You know, that didn't have meaning for them at that point. And, um, and I also read like a, I think it was a Peter Gray, um, article about learning math. Mm -hmm. Um, and and how kids in the future, if they want to go into a field that requires math, that they can actually learn it really quickly um, because they already have the skills to know how to learn. So they don't have to spend their entire childhood, you know, spending hours and hours doing workbooks or whatever. They, they can go on and learn it really quickly if they're motivated to. And so I think hearing those things and, and wrestling with it a little bit more allowed me to just let go of the math <laughs> and so that they, yeah, I, I no longer require them to do math. So <laughs> that was part of my de-schooling process. Oh, absolutely. I, I think whatever the thing is for us, right, whether it's math or maybe it's reading or, you know, yes. um, spelling, and that was something that I held on to for a little while, like just, just for those first few weeks, right? Because, because whatever that one thing is, and then we see them all the rest of the time and how much learning they're doing, and we see them in action, and we're continuing to learn and read ourselves, right? So I think that's a pretty um, normal transition time where, you know, there's, there's always that, that one last thing that's hard for us to let go of, but... Right. But as we keep going, you know, uh, just a few weeks and, and it starts to gel together and we can kind of release that last, that last big thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So another, I think the, the other two things that I was holding on to was like Chinese, um, Chinese language <clears throat> lessons and piano. Mm-hmm. And we live in China, so it sort of made sense. Um, 
And with piano, that was something that they had wanted to do when they were younger, but it's been, you know, four years and we were still having them do it. And sometimes there was a lot of tension around piano practice and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it wasn't until like maybe more recently, like a couple of months ago, where we actually, um, again, had to question why we were continuing those activities and whether or not they were... um, something those activities were things that our kids wanted to do and so we put it before them and asked them do you want to continue like these are the things that reasons why we think like our our perspective but what what do you guys think and um and they it was interesting because they didn't really want to continue with the chinese lessons but they did want to continue with the piano Ah. So that was actually really affirming to us in a way because we had thought that maybe if we didn't force them to do it, that they wouldn't do either. But to know that like once they had the option to consider for themselves and really um, tap into their own desires that they realized, I, I do want to continue with piano. So now as we move forward, at least with the piano, they can do it with more enjoyment and not feeling like it's mom and dad making me do it, but that they are in control of that. So, Yeah, that's a great point. It is so interesting to see um, them executing their agency, I guess, in making choices, right? And to see them, to it's nice to know that they're, um, you get to the point in the relationship, like it might have been a few months till you guys felt like you could ask that question and get a real answer from them because at first it could be very reactionary. Like you said, we figured they would just be like, no, I don't want to do anything because you were making me do that. But to actually take the time to think about it and and make a choice for what really works for them, right? Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I I think sometimes like they they might react and because – because we have been so controlling and we haven't, we've robbed them of that agency for so long. So once they have agency, then they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to rebel, you know, or I'm just going to do my own thing and not do the things that I know that you want me to do. But yeah, I think that can be a process too, like, and allowing them to do that and to say, absolutely no, not, yeah. I'm not do any till they get to the point where there is that trust where they know like, Oh, mom and dad honor my choices. And so now I can actually do what I want to do. And maybe some of what I want to do is what mom and dad want want me to do too. And that's okay. Yeah. That is, that's such a huge process of, I, I call it de-schooling, but also for the kids too, it's, it's building that relationship and that trust back in. Right. Because you're right. Absolutely. If they say no to everything, that's okay too. And, and that's the whole point. When you ask, it's about being okay with, with the no, right? (laughs) And they may come, none of these no's are forever, right? Right. They can always, like you said, later on say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I do want to pick that back up. But now they're at a point, you've gotten to a point in the relationship where they know that they're making that choice for themselves not to please you. And you know that too, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a, like something that both my husband and I had to be okay with. It's like, okay, if they say no to both of these things, we have to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
like trying to manipulate them to choose something. So yeah, just being okay with the no. I think with unschooling, we're always like hoping that they'll say yes to something, you know, grab onto something that they really love. But I think for kids who haven't been given a lot of freedom, I think their first choice is to say no. And they have to have the freedom to do that. Yeah, yeah. That 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 finally give helps them feel powerful when they haven't felt like they've had a lot of power yet, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm really curious to learn a bit more about unschooling in China. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you could share a bit about your experience and kind of like the pros and cons that you see about unschooling there. Yeah, so I actually wrote a blog post about this. Yeah. Um, and I, I would be interesting if there are any other unschoolers in China. I have no idea. But um, I think one of the really challenging things is the lack of easy access to information because we have a firewall. It's really, like, hard to get information online. And I, f- I feel like probably for a lot of unschoolers, a lot of the information they get – is online. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is sometimes really challenging for us. We like can't get on um, YouTube or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or all those things without VPN, like a virtual private network. And sometimes the internet makes it hard to get on those things. So um, I think that that is a challenge. Um, I think another thing is just the the cultural values are is very high on academics, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's, a, it's definitely um, the whole society is very focused on children doing well in school, getting the good grades, get doing well on the tests, and so we're in an environment that um, really pushes those types of values. So we're pretty weird to them. <laughs> so that's, that's also, I guess, another challenge. Um, and I think um, there's also the lack of affordable resources where here I feel like there's like the library, there's community center, there's like free days at the museum, there's, there's nature, there's a, a lot to work with. And there's also a community, like a pretty strong unschooling or homeschooling community. And um, I think in China, there aren't a lot of free resources because most families only have one child and they're willing to pay a lot of money for that one child to do cool stuff. And so a lot of things cost a lot of money. <laughs> So in that way, there aren't a lot of affordable resources, I think, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do have a homeschooling community, which I'm very, very thankful for, um, but not necessarily unschooling. And so not very many people with sort of the same perspective on schooling. So those are some of the cons, but those can also be pros too, in in my mind, like just the fact that um, because the culture is so, that it emphasizes so strongly on academics, um, people actually see the detrimental parts of that. They see how the system is really broken and they don't want that for their kids. 
Um, but their choices are limited and it's really risky for them to try other things. And so in some ways they, they see like it's, it's in some ways a more extreme example of some of the negative things that we see in schooling here in the West. And um, so they know like, Oh, something needs to change or something isn't right here. So they, they can understand the value of more choice, more freedom, more agency and yeah so like they when I tell my friends about it they're like oh that sounds really amazing but it's also something that's too outside the box for them at this point (laughs) so and and I think just like the bicultural aspect of living overseas is something you know is built in for us Mm -hmm. this this sense of um, learning from another culture learning a different language eating different types of foods, um, sort of like the world schooling thing, you know, where we're, we're learning from life and, and our perspective isn't just um, based on our own experience or our, our own culture, but we're exposed to different people and different cultures. So that's a big thing too. Yeah. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, the, especially the part of how they, because it's such academics are such a huge focus. Um, they, and there's so much pressure on the kids. They see, they really see the negative effects and I can, I can see, you know, yeah, it's totally like too out of the box to step away from it, but I can, I can imagine them wanting to figure out ways to support their kids while they're still putting the pressure on, you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems weird, quite a dichotomy, but I can see how, you know, this is what we have to do, this pressure, but I'm going to help you as much as I can to live with it, but because this is just the way it has to be, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that attitude. It's like, well, this is the way it is, and how can I help and support you? And I know it's it's really stressful and unfair, but this is the way it is. So I feel... I, I recognize that I have a lot of privilege in this in, in terms of the choices that I have as a foreigner living in China. And even, even if I was in America, it's just like, I'm very thankful for the privilege to be able to not have to send my kids to school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm, I, I really try to not um, push unschooling up on my Chinese friends because I know that it's, that's an un, unfair standard for them, I guess, you know? So I, all I know is like, I'm, I believe in it and I'm, I'm going for it and um, I will support you in whatever choices that you make. Cause I know that you're doing what's best for your child too. So. Exactly. Right. These are everybody's family choices to make for their own family. Right. And I mean, they see you living it. You don't have to convince them or try to change their mind or anything just by seeing you living it, they know it's an option, right? Yes. And yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can't imagine, you know, trying to put pressure on that or trying to convince. Yeah, that's not going to going to help at all, is it? <laughs> and so I, I have talked to some local moms who have chosen some alternative ways of doing education. And I'm so proud of them. I mean, it's a really big risk and a really big jump for them and so I do want to support them as much as I can and help them to think about education in a different way 
so that it's not so scary for them because it is really, really scary for them to make choices like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's the nice thing about living out in the world as you do. People know you're there and when they have questions or, or even just curious, right? Not, not that they are um, planning a move in, <laughs> in the yeah. near future, but even just curious to learn a little bit more and, and to ask questions. That's awesome that you're speaking with them and just sharing your experience. Yeah, yeah. 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 Excellent. Oh, and so how often do you guys um, visit back in the States then? We come back every summer. So, yeah, I feel pretty – I'm not sure how my kids feel that – I mean, we grew up in the States, and so we feel very comfortable in both cultures. Um, we're pretty bicultural. I wonder how my kids feel about it. <laughs> um, but they love, they love visiting the States and seeing family and everything. So, yeah, we come back um, every summer for about two months. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will definitely share a link to that blog post about your, the pros and cons uh, that you okay. mentioned. And there is a great blog post that you have about the value of letting go of expectations, especially the ones around achievement, as we've been talking about already. So when a child dives into an interest, right, it's so easy for us, you know, it's not academics now, <laughs> But it's so easy for us to envision this as, oh, okay, you know, piano or, or, you know, whatever it is. Oh, this is their lifelong passion and they can make a career out of it. And I feel like we almost like rationalize to ourselves that it's okay to let them have at it because, you know, this could be their, their big career, right? This could be what they do right. forever. And, and maybe we, we realize, oh, that could be pushing a little bit much. And we try to convince ourselves that, oh, we're just going to be supportive. We're just supporting him, right? But that can quickly backfire, can't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I think sometimes like our version of support is actually, um, well, it's in the guise of support, but we're mm -hmm. actually coming in with our own expectations of like, mm -hmm oh, they're going to be amazing at this or they're going to go to the Olympics or they're going to win <laughs> amazing prize. And it's uh, in a lot of ways, it's still about achievement and about outside affirmation rather than just the joy and the process of learning something new. And so, yeah, I think like part of the unschooling um appeal for me maybe in the beginning was like oh these kids are doing amazing things and they're following their passions um but I think I just read this headline by Itzy Damares um the, the one who writes I'm unschooled or what does she I'm write? unschooled yes I can write <laughs> yes I can write yes and it's just like some, sometimes our, our kids are unexceptional you know and like why why do we have this pressure that we place on our kids to to achieve and be exceptional and like be the best in their field or like be a genius at a, at a young age. I mean, some are, and that's great, but how just to accept our kids where they're at and just be, you know, fellow sojourners with them in the process of their learning. And, and it, I think something that I'm not very good at right now is actually um, empowering them and giving them the resources. Sometimes it's just like, Oh, well, you know, just, just use the free app and see how much you get out of it. Or, um, but I, I don't know if that's bad either because if they really 
are into it, then they'll let me know. And then I will hopefully give them the resources. But then maybe in the meantime, they can just, you know, dabble. And that's okay, too. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and I kind of think of it as as a dance. I I often call it like the dance of parenting because it's like, you know, you don't want to overpower them with stuff and step on their toes and kind of take over like you're directing, you're leading, right? Yes. <laughs> In dance yes. terms, right? Um, but you, you also want to react to their lead. You know what I mean? Like you said, as long as you're reasonably comfortable that in the relationship, if they want more, they'll say something. And and for us, that's part of making sure we're connected, staying connected, asking them about, you know, how's that free app going? Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you like finish all the stuff that was available there? Did you want a little bit more? You know, so not always expecting them to come to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so it... That, again, it's the dance, right? You, you don't expect them to come, but you don't want to push too hard um, yeah. so that it, they feel like you're controlling or that you've got some sort of expectation hidden in there. So, yeah, yeah. it's just the push and pull back and forth. You know, it's living together, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's something that I had to really learn to step back and hold my tongue and not try to um, strew too hard or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, don't you? Like, you know, we go to the library and there's all these books that I think they would be interested in. And I like ask them, do you want to read this? And then they, they flip through it and they're like, no. And I have to be okay with that. You know, maybe in the past I'm like, well, I'm going to borrow it anyway and um, read it to you or whatever. But I think just, yeah, just backing off and saying, it's okay, you're reading a bunch of other stuff. And so my, my boys um, are really into drawing and coding right now. Like they mm-hmm. love comics. And so we're back in the States and I know some people that work for gaming companies or I know people who like are coders and stuff like that. And so I asked them, do you want me to ask if you can visit the company, this gaming company or whatever? And then, you know, I thought it would be really fun for them, but they're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's like, there, there are ways that I'm like trying to, um, you know, open doors for them or help them improve or whatever, but they're just, they're just not there yet. And so I have to be okay with that. So I I love that example because I mean, I had that so many times over the years, you know, because they're at a place and you can kind of see, you know, next steps, a few steps down, but we come to realize that's a few steps down the path that we envision. Right. Right. And so we're all surprised when we say, hey, you know, I've got this way to contact this person. Let's a few steps down. And, you know, would you would you like to, uh, you know, go hang out with them, meet them, whatever, whatever. (laughs) And they're like, no, thanks. Because we have no idea kind of what path. And even if they're ready to take another step, right, maybe they're completely comfortable where they are. But it's a lot of our work, isn't it? Thinking yeah. that through, figuring that out, realizing that all these plans, not even plans, but all these ideas, possibilities that we're envisioning for them <laughs> around the spot that they're in may be completely different from what they are, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And my kids are like eight and ten, so I have to realize <laughs> that you know they're they're still young. There's no need to you know box them in yet. So. <laughs> yeah, see the, the tiger mom and me, and I still need to do that to untiger. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because because you know we're thinking, oh, you know they have this time. If they have the interest, they could be rocking it a few years yeah. from now, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, so I but, realize a lot of it is about my own, yeah, my own projections, my own yeah. aspirations for them. So I need yeah, to because it's it's our envisioning their achievement at a young age, right? So again, it's it's our our thinking, our definition of conventional success, and and it can sneak up on us in so many different ways, can't it? Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. I'd like to talk some more. Yes, this I've been looking forward to this question <laughs> about your experience with the tension of feeling like an outsider in both Chinese and American societies. I was hoping you'd share your thoughts around the process of weaving together your cultural heritage with what you're discovering now makes sense to you about children and learning and parenting and family. And I was just hoping to know what that kind of looks like for you now. Sure. How do you weave that together? <laughs> yeah, it's a really big question. And yeah. I'm, I'm still in process. Um, I just went to watch this play last night called Soft Power. And it's like, a, and they call it a Chinese musical about America. So it's written by an Asian American. Um, but it's sort of like a Chinese view of what America is like. And there's there's some scenes in it where it's like, um, as an Asian American in America, I'm never American enough. I'm not Western enough. I'm not white enough. And in China, I'm not Chinese enough. Like my Chinese isn't good enough. I'm not like my my ways of communicating are not Chinese enough. And so, in both cultures, in a lot of ways like we are outsiders and or there's feelings of not being enough or not belonging or whatever um but I think there's also value in that in that we can sort of step back and be observers of both cultures and and critique both cultures but also celebrate both cultures so that I don't have to do um, feel defensive about America. If there's like something about America that has gone terribly wrong, I don't have to say like, oh, I, I'm an American. I need to be patriotic or I need to defend it. And and same with with Chinese culture is like, if somebody if something says some, something bad about Chinese culture, I can also, you know, accept it or deconstruct it or whatever because I'm a little bit of an outsider. And so I'm finding that like, being in this position as an Asian American, I can be a lot more intentional about the things from different cultures that I am incorporating into my life as a, into my family life, into my parenting, so that it doesn't have to be like fully Western and it doesn't have to be like fully Chinese. Like I think nowadays we are a more global society. And I think if we have the humility to learn from each other, um, that 
there are ways that we can um, learn from different cultures. And I'm just reading all these articles about like the Maya people in Mexico and, and how, you know, the things that they're, how, how their children are in, that's very different from American children. And how can we learn from that culture? And, or, um, yeah, just so, so I think the, the blessing of being sort of bicultural is that we can be a lot more intentional about the things that we take from each culture. So for example, like Chinese culture, the values that we have, like the emphasis on family is like very strong and respect and responsibility and um, just working hard. You know, these are things that I associate with Chinese culture and those are good values. I, I, I believe in those values. Um, but I think the how, the way we get to that is also important. And so maybe the how is a more Western approach instead of, because maybe the, the Chinese way of getting to those values oftentimes is through patriarchy, through authoritarianism, through shame. Um, those are maybe the, the ways that um, sort of are embedded into the culture in a lot of ways. And now that I can see that that's not how I want to get to those values, I can find other ways to get to those values that are more respectful and um, provide more agency and freedom. So those, those are still values that I really honor and that I want to instill in my family, but it's just a matter of how, how do we get there? So. Yeah, I love that. I loved the, the realization that you can get, to the same place, but a different way with a different path, right? It's not if if you don't use these authoritarian, you know, shame control tools, you'll never get there. Like that's the message they they use to continue, you know, parenting and and just structuring society that way, right? Yes. But to realize that that you can still get there, but in a different way. That's eye opening, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and I think for, I'm just speaking for myself as, as an Asian American, we don't have a lot of models or, um, yeah, just examples that we've seen of, of, of a family dynamic that operates like that. So we're sort of like, at least for me, I feel like I'm feeling my way through, like we have like the typical white Western family, you know, but Asian family, in my experience, Asian families are the, the way we interact, our, our dynamics are a little different. So um, just, yeah, feeling our way through so that how can we really uphold our Asian values and the things that we love about our Asian culture, you know, while doing it in a respectful and honoring way. That seems very un-Asian in some ways, but... I'm really, really curious. So, you know, you you were talking about um, being bicultural and and the advantage in that you could um, choose what resonated with you from both cultures, right? So it became more about you're already open to choices, it sounds like, right? Did that kind of help when you discovered unschooling, which is focused on choices. So, you know, did that help a bit that you were already kind of picking and choosing things that were working for you, that this was just kind of another thing you were going to pick? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think living overseas um, made our, like our lifestyle very intentional because Mm. we didn't totally fit into that culture and we weren't just going to like bring American culture over there either. Right. So it was definitely, um, we made very intentional choices about how we wanted to live and the aspects of American culture that we wanted to bring over that were important to us, but ways that we wanted to, um, yeah, incorporate the culture around us too. And so I, I think that did give us the freedom to be more intentional and purposeful. Those words keep on coming. Yeah. Yeah. No, about, it makes sense about the, yeah. About the choices that we made with schooling and with our yeah. lifestyle too. So maybe if we had lived here in the States and sort of gone the typical route, maybe we would have never questioned any of that because that's just the way everybody else does it. But because we had to um, be really intentional about that as we lived overseas. So in some ways it opens, it opens the doors for us for like a lot more options in some ways because we're not stuck in a certain track. Yeah, I I can't remember. I I'm gonna butcher the quote completely, but you know, once your mind's open to a, a new idea or, or grows from a new idea, it, it can never go back. Like once mm-hmm. you see one choice and you make a little bit different choice, all of a sudden you see more and more of them everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, you recently published a blog post that's titled uh, Unschooling as an Asian American is an Act of Resistance. And I thought it was a great piece, Iris. And I was hoping you'd share your thoughts about it here. Yeah. So I think because um, that blog post was about how as, an Asian, as a Chinese American specifically, mm-hmm. um, that adds a different layer to my decision to unschool and I think that's true for a lot of people of color, that it's not solely about personal choice or educational freedom, that there is a component of, um, you know, resisting racism in it. So part of, part of it for me was resist. I, I, there were three things that I was resisting. And the first one was like resisting cultural pressures. And I talked about this already a little bit about how, yeah. Uh, Chinese culture in particular is very um, emphasizes a lot on academics and like the test based system is, you know, pretty much originated in China, I think. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and so uh, really rejecting that view of, of what education looks like. Um, so from the, from the Asian side, resisting those cultural pressures of needing to have high academic achievement or going to an Ivy League school or having a certain type of career, you know, so I'm resisting the pressures on those side, which like as a culture and maybe my extended family, you know, they're like, what are you doing? It's very strange what you're doing. Um, and I think also as an immigrant, as a, as a second, em- uh, second generation immigrant, where a lot of our families have moved to the West to provide more opportunities or provide these educational opportunities. And then if you don't take them, like they feel like, why, what, what did we sacrifice all that for? So there's a lot of pressure on that side of it. Um, I think there's also the resisting of 
Asian stereotypes where um, maybe there's there's views of what um, like the stereotypical Asian nerd or you you don't really you know even um, Jeremy Lin who is a basketball and Chinese American basketball player like he has faced a lot of racism because people just don't see him as athletic you know people don't see Asians as athletic or as attractive or as outspoken or as leaders so there's these ways that um, maybe society uh, stereotypes Asians that prevents them from having certain types of opportunities or resources um, especially in a schooling environment Mm-hmm. And so um, there's ways that we, we we can achieve, you know, like if we're on the academic route and we're smart, that sort of follows the stereotype. And so people can yeah. accept that. But if you don't, if you don't want to follow that stereotype, if you aren't super academic, but you really enjoy dance, you know, or mm-hmm. you, you want to be a football player or whatever it is, <laughs> there, like there are stereotypes that prevent you from, Um, achieving those things in that environment. And so I feel like unschooling is a way, is a way sort of outside of that where we can provide um, different opportunities that hopefully can resist some of those stereotypes and not just have kids boxed into being a certain type of Asian. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's that. And then I think the last one was just um, the, the curriculum and and um, sort of like the the very white centric patriotic mm-hmm. <laughs> American um, information that is given in um, most Western schooling environments is very Western centric and um, yeah, and I think we're realizing more and more that those that that story that we're telling each other isn't the whole truth, and that there are many different perspectives out there about history. And um, yeah, so not not only like the stories about our country or about the world that are very um, Eurocentric, but just all pretty much all of curriculum is or even sports you know like most schools won't necessarily have you know Asian sports like badminton but they will have basketball or golf you know so things that are most more associated with western things or the music that is played in band or just a lot of different things that um are typical maybe white centric instead of a more global multicultural view of the world and so unschooling can allow us to expose them to whatever resonates with them and it doesn't have to just be that um that one canon that we're used to yeah that's it's so narrow isn't it Mm -hmm. like the the curriculum um yeah, just 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 in general, you and, and yeah, you don't really realize it when if you're if you're just on that path, right? You know, you just absorb it because that's what you're supposed to do. And somebody has said this is what we cover, and somebody has said this is the angle of the story that we're going to yes. cover, right? And specifically yeah. that. 
So yeah, I love the idea of, of it also being a resistance to all that. Conventional isn't even the, the right word. Stereotypical probably is, right? Mm-hmm. All that, you know, um, for lack of a better word, white culture, that's, that's there, right? And, and all the other stories are, are ignored. So, so I love the idea of, of it also being such a big act of resistance of, of that uh, main cultural story, right? That the world is so much bigger, so much wider, and that we can bring that world to our kids, but also, you know, just standing up and choosing that and say it's important to us, right? It, it's our choice too for, for our families that this is an important way that we want to be in the world and that we want to share with our children. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. And like um, where they can be sort of the, the protagonist of their own story, whereas like the, you know, if if we grow up in the typical American schooling system, we're never the protagonists of our own stories. Like the stories that we read, you know, there are very few, there, there are more and more, but very few like books that are required reading at that age that um, tell stories about, you know, Asian Americans or Asians. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that point. Thank you. And I'll share I'll share a link to that too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, okay, thank you. so to wrap this up, I really wanted to know what your favorite thing about unschooling is right now. There are so many things, but <laughs> I really think it's it's not just about schooling, but it's like a whole lifestyle in some ways. And so I just really love how um it gives me so many opportunities to connect with my children and just the relationship that we have with one another and the growing respect that we have for one another and just enjoying each other. Whereas, um, yeah, it's not just about hurting my kids through the day, getting them (laughs) to this class or that class It's really about just enjoying life together is <laughs> a very slow, slow pace that allows us the opportunity to just connect and enjoy one another. So I'm really thankful for that. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, and you don't realize how fast your pace is until you step away. Do, do you yeah. think I found that I appreciated that slowness and that ability to be in relationship and be in the moment with them way more than I even expected, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's sort of my personality too. I'm more of a homebody. I like things to be slower. I get overwhelmed with too many things. But um, yeah, just really enjoying that that opportunity to build relationship with them. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me, Iris. I'm so glad you said yes. It was so much fun. I had a lot of fun too. Thank you for asking me, Pam. Oh, yay. And before we go, uh, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Yes. So my blog is untigering.com and I also have a Facebook page, um, just untigering and also started a, a Facebook group for parents who are or have been tiger parents and want to untiger called untigering parents so you can look that up uh it's a facebook group and then on twitter i am untigering mom 
Excellent. All right. I will put all those links in the show notes for people too. (laughs) And thanks so much. Have a great day. Say hi to everyone. You guys are in the States now, right? Yes. Yes, we are. (laughs) Bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, Really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners, and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.